This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 149, about Jessica Jones, season 2, episode 11, a.k.a. Three Lives and Counting. They are so, so hard on this show. I thought I had I Want Your Cray Cray out of my head and in walks a new character singing it away twice in this episode. I will never get it out of my head. This is Derek on Defenders TV Podcast, episode 149, talking about Jessica Jones, season two, episode 11, a.k.a. Three Lives and Counting. Hi, this is John. And rounding out the troop, I am Chris. And yes, much like one of those serial killers in the middle of the night in a horror film, you're like, just when you thought it was safe to go outside. But in this case, it's like, just when you thought it was safe to go into an episode of Jessica Jones, (laughs) it comes back and gets you. I want your cray-cray. Yes. They should turn this into, like, I really want to see someone turn this into a proper, like, song and get it released and then tell no one it's actually from the show and just see, does it go up the charts? Guess what? This is actually available on YouTube, plus on Spotify, officially available from Jessica Jones. You can listen to I Want Your Cray Cray over on Spotify. So oh, if you ever feel the need to listen to that song. God. <laughs> Fellow Defenders, this is our spoiler-filled discussion about episode 11, a.k.a. Three Lives and Counting. Hopefully you've watched the episode. If you haven't, turn off now. If you want to get everything to do with Defenders TV Podcast, we're on 149 episodes of our show, which means we're up to 150 episodes next time. Obviously, I can count. If you want to get everything and all the episodes that we've done, just pop on over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We've got loads up there, all of our Defenders coverage, all of our coverage for Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Agent Carter. We've got... Doctor Strange Damnation, the event that's still going on up there. We'll have all of the movies, all the Marvel movies, obviously coming into uh, Avengers Infinity War in a couple of weeks' time. So loads and loads of stuff to catch up with on there. But let's get into some feedback on some of the previous episodes, if you're ready, guys. I'm 100% ready. We got an email on episode 6 from Lieutenant Floby. Hello, Chris, John, and Derek. Just finished watching episode 6 and one word sticks out. Mom? Holy cow, I did not see that coming. So you guys were right on both sides. Meathead is both a killer and Jessica's protector. So how is this conflict going to be resolved? Can't wait to see. Thanks, Floby. Thank you, Floby. Uh, yeah, I think we, we've discussed this quite a bit. And um, we're as the episode and season progresses, I think we're slowly finding out how this conflict is being resolved and uh, not in the way most of us expected. I am very impressed that Floby pressed the pause button to write this note uh, to us and then went on to the next episode because that was the one that had the big cliffhanger at the end where everybody was going, what, mom? (laughs) Of course you wanted to watch the next episode, so well done for that. Our next piece of feedback came in on Facebook for episode 8 from Robert Phillips. He says, well, I thought I knew the sorts of directions this was going, but I'm confused again now. Is Malcolm being good or not wanting to out the lawyer or just a ploy? Will he collapse after the IGH puffer works through him? Will the mummy-daughter team find and take down a big bad? Or isn't there one? Bad stuff is just the consequence of small, wrong actions, and there is no overarching reason or motive. Next episode, please. Really good thoughts there, Robert. Yeah, I have to say that moment with Malcolm where he decides not to out Benowitz 
and use that piece of information that he's found out just to get information on Chow, the other partner in the uh, in the law firm of Jerry Hogarth, was such an interesting idea. I really liked th- that idea that he's not. It's not going to be used as oh, we found someone that's gay, so we're going to use that against him. It's just effectively to take down who we know is the real bad in. Uh, Hogarth's firm. It had to be Chow. We've seen her being aggressive and angry towards uh, towards Jerry from the beginning of the series, so she has to be the bad in the show. So hopefully we'll see that coming up and uh, the resolution to that storyline in the future. Yeah, and we got some more Facebook feedback for episode 9, aka Ain't We Got Fun. A great little conversation between two of the group members. Jamie Young goes, and I thought my relationship with my mother was complicated. Also, does anyone else think it's a little rich for Cheng to try and kill Jessica's mother when he's the one who sent the guy to steal from Jessica in the first place? Shouldn't he take at least some responsibility for his colleague's death? Uh, Absolutely, uh, Jamie. I think that's a really, really good point. As does Tina Brown, who goes, I completely agree. Cheng was introduced, developed a bit, sort of sidelined, and now is back. And I find his motives thin, mostly, because I just don't know what his deal is supposed to be. And I think the window to forge that attachment is closed, not just because of the shooting, but because there are only so many episodes left. And I don't want to spend that time figuring him out now when it takes away from the others on the canvas. And Jamie Young comes back, yes, exactly. He feels like a filler character, kind of like Robin from season one. I think those are really good points, and I think there's an element of underdevelopment for Cheng mm-hmm. definitely within this show. And it, it's a real shame because um, that is such a crucial point, and you know, it just feels a little confused and a, a little mixed. And I think there's an element of that with a few other characters as well, even some of the bigger ones, uh, which I think I will come to in this uh, podcast. Interesting. Yeah, thanks for that, Jamie and, and Tina. Yeah, it was definitely something we talked about in the podcast as well, that we were expecting this was going to be the big bad was arriving and shooting at Jessica and her mother, and it turns out to be a character that we slightly forgot about and didn't realise he was going to be a killer with a weapon across the street. It seemed like it's such a huge jump for the character after him disappearing from the show for three episodes. But thanks so much for all of that feedback from all of our fellow defenders. Yeah, thanks so much for the feedback. Really good. Keep it coming on in for the final two episodes. Yeah, regardless of what episodes you're talking about, we'll always read your feedback because we love getting feedback from our fellow defenders. Except if it's about episode 13 and we're recording episode 12. Very true, Chris. With that, Derek, what are some of the episode details for Three Lives and Counting? Yes, this episode was written by Jack Kenny, who wrote God Help the Hobo, and Lisa Randolph, who wrote AKA Soul Survivor, two episodes from this season of Jessica Jones. It was directed by a very, very famous lady, Jennifer Lynch. She is the daughter of David Lynch, who obviously is well known for his TV show uh, Twin Peaks and for his fantastic movies. But interestingly, Jennifer Lynch is the one that wrote The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. I've never seen that. Yeah, the book that was released back in the 90s when uh, when the original Twin Peaks was on. Really interesting story behind that. Can I tell the story, John? Yes, I, yes told, you can. I told John the story. Um, thanks to now peaking and now playing podcast for this little tidbit of information. The Secret Diary of Laura Pam was written over nine days. Really short amount of time for any book to be written. And Jennifer Lynch flew to New York carrying the full book on a set of floppy disks with her. Unfortunately, something happened in transit and the entire book was lost when she got to her publishers in New York. So she had to rewrite the entire thing in three days, which explains some of the discrepancies in dates and some of the slight issues that are in there because she had to essentially rewrite an entire book in three days. Poor thing. 
Oh my god, that would kill me. Isn't that quite yeah, interesting? I would be I, soul I'd destroying. Yeah. We, we think our deadlines are harsh, but uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and she's also directed a couple of episodes of Walking Dead. She's really good, actually. I really, really enjoy that they brought her in for this episode. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Shocked by her own actions, Jessica makes prison officer Dale Holiday's death look like suicide. But Jessica begins to worry that she, like her mother, is turning into a monster. These feelings are amplified by a familiar voice as she is haunted by the memories of Kilgrave, who loves to remind her three lives and counting. Elsewhere, Trish's plans for Dr. Carl Malice become clear as she demands Malice to give her abilities like Jessica's. As Jessica discovers Carl is gone from his hotel room, she tracks him down just as Malcolm manages to escape from the trunk that he was locked in by Trish. Trish then, along with Carl, manages to get away and head to the IGH facility where he begins to put her through the same experiments administered to Jessica and Elisa. But Jessica arrives and stops the procedure, but her Kilgrave hallucination almost convinces her to add a fourth life to her collection, Carl Malice. Jessica manages to stop herself, but he decides to end his own life and destroy the laboratory where Jessica and Elisa were created. As Trish lies unconscious in a hospital bed where Jessica has brought her, an argument seemingly threatens alias investigations, and Alicia, learning of Malice's death via a news report, throws her new guard at the wall and escapes from prison. And she is going cray, 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 cray. Insanity beckons for Alyssa, methinks. Oh yes, that, that guttural roar that she lets out when she sees the news report of Malice's death is phenomenal. And again, another great performance from Alyssa in these scenes. It's not a great idea to leave the news on in the prison, really. Um, especially no. when you've got someone who is known to fly off the handle quite a lot. Um, I like the idea that they had like the Discovery Channel on, showing the showing the sea and that kind of stuff. Nice calming influence on, yeah. on Alyssa. But having the news on, not a great idea. And that took her back to a good memory. So... Where the hell did she go in her mind when she saw that Malice was dead? And obviously, the last snapshot was of him and uh, old Cray Cray herself, Trish Walker, going bananas in this episode. Mm -hmm. Very on edge. Okay, if you're going to be in prison, or you're going to be in charge of prison, I don't think you should put on documentaries, because like, if you put the National Ge Geographic Channel on, at some point it's going to come to... like elephants fighting or like tigers or lions or that's just going to overstimulate them mm -hmm. honestly you just need bach or beethoven just pumped 24 7 <laughs> just kind of like through the thing just like calming music exactly exactly but on that note i think we should maybe go on to our full case notes Yes, let's get into our case notes. Our first case note uh, kind of has to be that opening of this episode. Like we saw at the end of last episode, Jessica in the apartment of Dale Holiday, um, getting sprayed in the eyes so she blinded. And unfortunately, by mistake, she hits him directly in the side of the head with her full power and his baton, uh, killing Dale Holiday instantly. So we have that she is reeling from the death of murdering Holiday. And we see her revert to where she was at the beginning of season one of Jessica Jones, where she's getting these visions of Kilgrave in her head again, where he's telling her to make it look like a suicide. You killed again, make it look like a suicide in her head. So um, this is 
a slight psychological break for Jessica. She's struggled with the fact that she murdered Kilgrave in the past, and we have him taunting her with this idea of three lives and counting because she killed Reba Connors, Luke Cage's ex-wife, she killed Kilgrave, and now she's killed Dale Holiday. So that's her three lives. So Jessica's on a bit of a kill streak at the moment. Yeah, see what she did there. <laughs> there is an element where she's kind of being a bit hard on herself. Yes. But that's... I can't argue with that. To be just completely honest, I was like, yes, you killed again, but it was like self-defense, so you're okay. Yeah. And obviously, Reva and then Kilgrave, they've all, they're taking a toll on her psyche. I would definitely argue that there's only one murder here between the three killings that have happened. One was in self-defense, one was when she was under the control of Kilgrave, who he tells you what to do and you do it. Um, The only murder that's really happened is her choosing to kill Kilgrave, put him to rest to save the world, effectively. That's her only murder. And she has been reeling from that since the beginning of season two. We've seen her struggling with this idea. Should she have done it? She is a murderer for that reason. The other two, one was accidental, which is the killing of Dale Holiday, and the other one was because she was in control, uh, was being controlled by Kilgrave. So she's really harsh on herself, but I love that this manifests as Kilgrave in her mind. This is Jessica's version of Kilgrave. We will talk obviously about Kilgrave a little bit, but this is Jessica's version of Kilgrave. This isn't the Kilgrave that we knew last season. He's being much harsher almost than Kilgrave was in the past. Kilgrave wanted her with him for the rest of his life. Kilgrave wanted her to realize that they were the perfect couple. So he wasn't as harsh as he is to her in these scenes. I love how David Tennant plays him in in these scenes. But what we do find here from her trying to cover up Dale Holliday's murder is she does things like writing a suicide note and planting the numbers of the murdered inmates beside it so that when the body is found in the future, everybody will know what it is that he did in his life, Um, that he's the one that forced the inmates to kill themselves and he's responsible for it. And now he's taken his own life uh, by throwing himself off a building, apparently. The roof, yeah. Jessica yeah. using her powers to uh, to cover up the murder. I love the fact that it was a straight sort of vertical plant by Jessica where she's holding him by the the ankles. Like, I just had this vision that he was going to be, like, concertinaed on, mm. on the steps, sort of just crushed down. Um, obviously, he didn't come to his final rest like that, but yeah. I, I thought it was nice because it just shows her strength, yeah. I really like this. I thought this really tied jessica's journey so far this season Mm -hmm. uh together you know she's struggling about uh killing kilgrave at the start even though again people around her are saying she was justified in doing it like trish and uh and malcolm you know they're kind of being supportive of her but it's also the fact that you know with her mum being introduced seeing what her mum has done Mm -hmm. it's it's really provided so much conflict internally for struggle. I think I was saying how it feels quite an intimate season. Um, a lot of these episodes feel intimate in terms of how Jessica is trying to process stuff, the struggle that she has. And this just is her, again, because of the rawness of, albeit in self-defense, this this death now of Dale Holiday, she can't quite separate it from whether it's a murder by her because of what he was doing, because of maybe the feeling she had in that moment, mm-hmm. um, plus coupled to her strength. 
And so all these personal things are really beginning um, to affect her. And I just love how then that becomes amplified uh, with the arrival of Kilgrave. That that moment where the purple creeps into um, the the frame of of the the show when she's up on the roof after she's just dropped him from the top um, and he's there clapping. And this all just kind of amplifies... um, these insecurities because now here we have Kilgrave again trying to tell her to own it you know I love that embrace this murder own it Mm -hmm. Um, and she's trying to distance herself and then maybe there's thoughts of her going maybe this is who I am you know she is struggling you know is she like her mum is she going to become this monster that her mum has become is she like Kilgrave to some extent and where if it becomes a necessity that she has the power to kill and she has done three times you know she's being reminded and there's such a struggle here and and conflict and i think Kristen rissa is so so good here Mm -hmm. and that moment where she calls her mum is so good like the how distraught she looks where she's sat uh, on the chair in the kitchen you know it's just i think really really uh fantastic yeah yeah no I, i can't agree more um with what you're saying here it's it's rough. It's this is this is the part where you're like where you think Netflix shows and actresses should be up for Emmys, mm-hmm. should be up for um, I I don't know other large well known Academy Awards kind of thing, actors guilds, things like that. Yeah. Because it was truly a scene. That small spot of blood setting her off like it did. Mm-hmm was absolutely brilliant. I like those little paws as well. Like she takes off her jeans, she takes off her top, and then she looks at her leather jacket, which we knew from the previous episode she got from uh, the time when she was with her her previous boyfriend who was murdered by her mother. And there's just that pause where she picks it up and looks at it as if she's going to throw away all of her clothes like her mother did, burn them in a fire kind of thing to protect her from being caught. And she just looks at the leather jacket and just puts it back in place as if she's still not willing to let go of that happy past that she had, that one little moment of pleasure and that she's had in her past before Alyssa came into her life, unbeknownst to her. But it's just a nice little moment in the scene. Um, just so well played by Kristen Ritter. Yeah, and I, I think even in that moment where, you know, she's really struggling, I, I love the fact that, you know, with the 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 reverse collect call from the penitentiary by uh, Alyssa, she's kind of goes there uh, because she knows something is wrong because Dale hasn't turned up to her, her cell in order to sort of abuse her some more. But she says, I'm so proud of you. And you're kind of like going, uh, okay, yes. thanks, mom. You know, as she's trying to struggle here. And again, it is that moment. She has not only Kilgrave telling her to own this this murder, um, her mom is like saying, this is no big deal. Uh, it's in the same way as she really was quite happy to, to kill Cheng and ultimately is the reason why she uh, is in the cell, in prison, because Jessica really realized that she does need to be controlled in some way, because otherwise she's quite blasé about killing people if she feels it's justified. So, you know, Jessica has these two people, you know, her greatest nemesis and then her mother, both kind of almost saying what you did was fine. Mm. And she is having to battle both of those. So it's not just Kilgrave um, as well. It, it's her mother. Yeah. And I think, again, it's those feelings about her mum, whether she's 
to like her mum, whether she's going to become her mum, this monster. So really um, fantastic kind of thread throughout the whole of this episode for me. Yeah, yeah. So can I just take some quick kind of side note before we go on to our second case note? Sure. Do you feel if EW, I think it was EW, released the photos of David Tennant and Christopher Ritter in New York filming season two, mm. that this reveal, the impact of having Kilgrave in the season would have been heightened. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really saddened. I've, I think I talked about it on episode two of this podcast. The one thing I absolutely hate is set photographs. People with long lens cameras doing paparazzi shots of sets. I know it seems to get... It seems to get fanboys for Marvel shows, particularly in Marvel movies, really excited to see their actors on the street um, without their makeup, without the CGI stuff, all that kind of stuff. It seems to get all the fanboys really excited. It's the one thing that really, really pisses me off because I think we're just getting Kilgrave for this episode and it's really important that he's here. I would have absolutely have loved to got to episode 11 of this show and just hear the applause or just that drop of his voice in the middle of her consciousness telling her you're a murderer you're going to be going to prison for the rest of your life with your mom you know mother daughter cellmates as she's saying and then suddenly you hear Kilgore's voice in her head going you killed again make it look like a suicide i wish that was the first i knew about it but with set photographs they had to put it in there unfortunately then netflix made the decision to put that applause into their first trailer for the show their first full trailer for the show so i don't know how much is driven by the fact that there was that everybody knew that david tennant was going to be back in the show but I wish we didn't know because this this definitely this one-off episode where he comes in. If this was a weekly show, for example, you may have been able to keep that quiet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's definitely lessens the impact. I am absolutely of the school of thought that um, you know, in in the build-up to the release of a TV show or whether it's even a film or whatever, less is more. Definitely on the side of the Christopher Nolan school of thought here that. You want the integrity of that piece that you're doing. Um, and that includes big reveals. Um, and I think it would have made it even more of an impact having uh, no knowledge of Kilgrave returning here. And, you know, I think this kind of blends us into case note two here uh, with Kilgrave arriving. You know, it, it's so, so impactful, even though we did know. And it would have just been that squeal moment um, and yelping moment on the couch where, you know, that fade to purple on the roof and mm -hmm. the clapping. Absolutely great. And imagine how much more impactful and better that would have been not knowing. And it's so sad that even the people that binge watched all 13 episodes on day one knew it was coming at some point. So people have been waiting since episode one going, when's Kilgrave going to be in the show? That shouldn't be your question when you're looking at this show, this show of Jessica Jones. It should be, oh, I wonder what the story's going to be like. I, at one point, wasn't on the school of thought, especially when it came to the movies. Mm. Um, I was like, no, I, I want to see how they do it. And I think I was cause, because I'm a fanboy. I'm like, I want to see how you are building something and you are interpreting something I love. Mm -hmm. It's become an issue in, in, in the world of the internet, but what hasn't. Mm -hmm. um, in that, like, we take Captain Marvel, which is in production at the moment they they took a couple of shots of Brie Larson in her in a uniform and the world went mad because yeah. it was like oh my god it's in green but why is it in green it's supposed to be in red and like blah, 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 blah. and like literally 
people they had to like it just went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, people, this is the thing, because you're taking it out of context, you don't know what the storyline is, and it's like, and this is the issue with Kilgrave and me, which is I would have been as I would have squeed. Yeah. I would have squealed. I would have gone, this is fantastic. <laughs> like, I'm so happy to see him back. Is a squeed, a squeal, and a little wee-wee? I think it's something in between. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just like, it. oh my god! It's, How yeah. have you not heard I, that I, word? That's going back to, like, Buffy times. I Okay, maybe it's just gone from my collective memory, or awesome. more, I'm... Maybe I'm more of a, a, a squoo. <laughs> so, this piece of the storyline fell flat for me. And that's why the reason I brought this up. Oh, right. Okay. I loved it. Uh-huh. I did. I loved what they were doing. I loved the back and forth, the banter, the, as you said, the film noir turning from Jessica's voiceovers to Kilgrave. Mm. But it didn't have the impact. Yeah. Yeah. The banter did. I missed the banter between them. Yeah. And she, where she's in the room, for example, when she's in um, Malcolm's room. Mm hmm. And she goes, I'm having the banter with a fiction of my imagination or something like that. Mm -hmm. That worked. Yes, it was great. It was really good. The overall didn't. But is this the same Kilgrave? Is this the Kilgrave from season one? Or is this Jessica's version of him? Mm -hmm. Given it's a hallucination, a vision, it's her memories. There's that great moment where he opens his palms, you know, like a preacher, and he says, uh, I am your thoughts. You know, there's, it's really telling. It, it's that it's her thoughts uh, taking the form and the voice of Kilgrave here. Mm -hmm. it, it's this internal struggle. It's her doubts. It's her fears. All of that from case note one. Is she becoming a mother? Is she becoming like Kilgrave? Is Kilgrave weighing down on her will he always be with her you know all these kind of elements yeah. and um for me it is definitely the characteristics of Kilgrave. but there are some moments here where um it's you know you can see that it's coming from within her exactly exactly like there's no greater way to criticize yourself than use your greatest enemy to embody that well done as i mentioned earlier on well done to david tennant for almost bringing this character up a better notch for me. He seems to have just embodied that idea of this is your internal voice ripping you apart um, through Kilgrave. I think that was just so well played. Really, really thought it was so good. Oh, yeah. Like, I I, I love David Tennant. Um, I loved him more as he became, went from Broadchurch into Jessica Jones. Uh, and then he's gone back to Broadchurch, I think. I think he's in a couple of films. Um, but this will now always be one of his standout career points, high mm -hmm. points for me. Absolutely. And yes, before any Whovians attack me, I loved him in Doctor Who as well. <laughs> you know that the two of us are going to attack you on that. So good. good I know, catch, that's Chris. why I was like, oh, <laughs> I loved him there. Yes. I feel Kilgrave was just a an opposite high point, if you will. We did talk about it during season one. Probably the most disturbing thing about Kilgrave to me at that time, and I think you guys agreed, was that he's using the Doctor Who voice. He's not using his Scottish accent. He's using the lovely Doctor Who voice that got us through five seasons or four seasons of a wonderful Doctor. And he's using that as the killer Kilgrave in Jessica Jones. It was so disconcerting to have that voice coming out of his mouth and being so horrible to people. It, it was, and I just... Uh, I, I can't... Anyway... I feel that this part didn't land with me as much as I felt it should. 
it landed. It just didn't get that thud in my gut. I think, as you say, Chris, the showrunners were probably expecting that this wouldn't be released and people wouldn't know until they watched it. Now, if you didn't watch it day one, you definitely would have known he was coming on day two. But I still think there should have been somebody that was able to watch this without the reveal being spoiled for them. And I don't think anybody had that opportunity who was excited for the show. I don't think anybody got that opportunity. And Chris, you're you're so harsh. I mean, you're like a, a gymnastics judge. Instead of a 10, you give a 9.6 or something like that. <laughs> it is true. It's almost like I'm a critic. You know, I, I, it's almost like we are reviewing in depth yes. each, article, each episode. But we're not. We're just discussing the episodes. We don't review. Um, but I, I must say, I was really delighted that we that our speculation about this character was right, that we did speculate that this was going to be in Jessica's mind, and that's how he comes back. And fair dues to Melissa Rosenberg you have now created Kilgrave as a character that can come back up to season 10 or 20 of Jessica Jones because he leaves her with the line of, I'll be with you always, and I'll be right here whenever you need me, effectively. Whenever you want to criticize yourself and pull yourself down, I'll be right here to come back into the show, you know? So fair juice to them for, for making sure that a character who was killed at the end of season one can now be brought back whenever Jessica's at her lowest point. Yeah, I mean, he, he was just so awesome. He really was. I mean... The, the dialogue and the interaction, uh, really, really good. Um, and just like how it's brought to life by Tenon mm-hmm. is, is amazing. You know, right from the start, it goes, I know all the quaint side streets. Uh, I'll be with you here forever. You know, as Jessica's repeating all the different street names, uh, like she did from season one as her kind of calming point. Yeah. Uh, really good. Um, I just, I just found his, his presence so so good um and yeah just fantastic to have him back yeah I, I, there's not much more and I, I i'm happy that melissa rosenberg did it this way mm-hmm. i feel i would have thrown something at my beautiful tv if it turned out to be that he was brought back to life yeah. by blah, blah, blah. Okay, maybe not that far i love my tv too much <laughs> but uh they did it the right way with this they kept it grounded mm-hmm. and they kept it real which is a good idea yes yeah and i really like how he was just so harsh about trish about malcolm uh, everyone and slightly disparaging about Alyssa. that you know how insane she is or well uh, more insane you know I, I loved how his memory projected by trish was in effect putting her feelings towards malcolm and and trish exactly. uh by kilgrave but you could also see that kilgrave would say those things as well mm. about them uh, and so that was i think really really good that kind of parallel between the two yeah absolutely and what are the one of my favorite scenes also in this episode is that everybody wanted Kilgrave back in this season. So you get tons of Kilgrave. You get about 13 different versions of him appearing around Jessica, completely overtaking her mind, overtaking her thoughts, chastising her, as you say, criticizing Malcolm, telling her why continue this pursuit. Why don't you just come into the pub and have some whiskey like you normally do? That kind of stuff. You know, I just thought it was really good for for the fans of Kilgrave. You get about 13 of them in this episode, which is quite cool. No, it was. Uh, But gentlemen, I think we should move on to our third case note. Mm -hmm. Trish and Dr. Carl take a trip. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of interesting. So we believed that Trish was going to try and get a new inhaler in the future when she eventually ran out of her inhaler. Um, seems like she wants something quite significantly different. She wants to actually be developed into a superhero like 
Jessica and like her mother, Alyssa. So she takes Dr. Carl back to the facility. I was quite interested in how Dr. Carl played it. It felt like he had been held back from doing this type of science by his work with Alyssa, by actually treating Alyssa and trying to make sure that she didn't kill anybody. It felt like he has been waiting for somebody to walk up to him and go, please, can you just do some operations on me and give me new superpowers? It's quite interesting because when Trish is almost turning back and saying that she doesn't want to go ahead with it, he's kind of trying to push her towards getting this operation done on her. Like he locks the door. She kind of says, um, will I will I die after this? How long is this going to take? And he goes, well, with Jessica, it took 20 days, but I've improved the process. You know, come on, do it, you know? Yeah, I mean, he seems to go from being held at gunpoint by Trish mm-hmm. um, to having some kind of um, relationship with her about doing this to the point where, you know, um, he says to jessica it's what she wants and he as you say encourages her to go ahead with it as she's having maybe some uh, doubts and some second thoughts on on it so there's certainly a movement there and i i like that idea that maybe you know he he's closed it down but he's always been taking the notes his project has been Alyssa. Yeah. Alyssa is no longer around. And all of a sudden, there's this other project coming on board. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about he's perfected the method, at least um, in theory, by writing it down. And all of a sudden, he seizes the moment to test out his theories uh, on Trish here. And yeah. um, so, it, yeah, it's it's a really nice point here as that kind of relationship of, of hostage uh, changes over the course of this um, episode. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was ever really a hostage, if we think about it. Yes, he, yeah. was, he was taken at gunpoint, but... <laughs> What's your definition of hostage, then? <laughs> Psychologically, he was never one, if we want to put it like that. As soon as he knew what Trish wanted, mm-hmm. he he was leading her into this. And I think this is the, the difference with Dr. Carl. Dr. Carl is not a nice person. No. Like, we've known this from the beginning. Him, Kozlov, etc., they were doing this because they want fame. They wanted accolades. They wanted to change the world. Mm-hmm. But they still experimented on dead people. Exactly. And and brought dead people back to life. They they were not nice people. What we have been led to believe is that with Alyssa, he changed his ways. He's become the hippie. I love his t-shirts. I love the Grateful Dead. I mm-hmm. love the way he, the shirts he wears. He's a cool looking dude. He's still a complete a hole. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he, like, as soon as uh, Jessica found the book and the, the, you saw that he had been continuing to work on the process, mm-hmm. I was like, "That's not the process for Alyssa." Yeah, because he kept talking about that was just a drug regime and things like that. This is he's been working on perfecting his technique. Exactly. He just, as Derek said, he just just waited for someone to come back to him. If Kozlov had have forced his way back, he would have done it. Yeah. He would have gone to the army. Exactly. Like, there's that moment where he's almost wringing his hands at the idea of getting an opportunity to test on Trish. He's kind of going, you want to change the world? Well, that's what I wanted to do as well. You can change it by being a superhero, and I'll I'll show you how to do it. That is so disingenuous from this character, because what has he created? He's created all of these people through the IGH drugs, like Alyssa and Jessica, who hate their superpowers, who hate being people that can kill anybody at, at a second thought. So why would it be any better with Trish? Just because she wants to go through it? But Trish is 
an addict. She's addicted to this concept of being like her sister and she'd be able to do it better, like Jessica. So probably not going to work out that great for her. Yeah. What I do really wonder about these scenes here is Jessica comes in and breaks up the process before it's over and brings Trish to the hospital, who's now in pretty bad state, really. So has the process worked? Will we see this as her superhero creation? I'm assuming so, but I am wondering, by breaking up the process early, will it have had any adverse effects on Trish that he may not have thought about? I'd say so. Basically, this is we know that the the increased treatment on Alyssa increased her strength, mm-hmm. increased her everything. She may, she mentions that uh, in the flashback scene that she can jump 10 stories. Yes, she does. Jessica cannot jump 10 stories. And yes, I know I'm saying jump before anyone gets in there. <laughs> I have it in my notes, actually, to point yeah, out to you, Chris. <laughs> thank you. Continue on. Continuing on. Can I just point out quickly, because I did mention this, I did finally want to tell you this. In the last season of Jessica Jones, the comic book series by Michael Bendis, he does actually mention that Jessica could fly if she wanted to and trained a lot. So that's the reason why she jumps. So the character in the comic books could fly if she tried hard enough, but Jessica's not a trier and not a trainer. So he does make a mention of it. So we're actually both right. She jumps because that's what she can do and that's what she's willing to put her mind to, but she could fly if she was willing to put her mind to that. Finally, the feud is ended Mm -hmm. and we can all live in peace. (laughs) All it took was Mr. Bendis who is now joining uh, the, the DC family. Yes, the Marvel books for Jessica Jones have now finished with Brian Michael Bendis in the driver's chair, but there will be a new series of Jessica Jones back in uh, in autumn uh, this year with new writers on board. So. Excellent. Anyway, jumping back, I think, yes, I think basically what will end up happening is Trish will be Hellcat. She'll be slightly, she will not be as powerful as Jessica mm. because and that's, or she will be as on par with Jessica, but slightly different. Uh, we yes. don't know whether he's still using octopus DNA. Yes. Like, is he now using feline DNA? Maybe. Things like that. I, I wanted to go back to the sacrifice, quote-unquote, comics. Mm. Do you think it worked? I, I know what they were trying. They were trying to say, like, okay, he he's now seeing the errors, error of his ways. Mm-hmm. He's seeing that the science that he loves, that he constantly wants to work on, is causing um, death, destruction. Yeah. I, I didn't see it as the the huge redemption piece that they were trying to portray it as, I think. I don't think it was supposed to be a redemption no. uh, for me. I think we actually called it out a couple of episodes ago that, that if there is a big bad in this series, and it's, it's looking like there isn't a big bad in the show, tradi- like a traditional one, but I did call out that since Carl has been taking responsibility for the creation of Jessica and the creation of Alyssa, who's been the one that's going out and murdering people, that that makes him the big bad in the show, and they've just taken him out in this episode. Um, what I find really interesting about it is, in flashback, we hear he broke up from the other two partners in the clinic, in the IJH clinic, which was Dr. Leslie Hansen and Kazlov, uh, to take Alyssa away. Leslie Hansen, we found her skull earlier on in the season, so she's dead and been burnt alive, uh, killed by Alyssa. And we know that Kozlov died in the car accident, killed by Alyssa. So now the third and only other member of that triumvirate who created IGH and created all of these people is now off the table, destroying all of his notes and the lab. So effectively what they've done here is say nobody else can be created by these methods. No other superhero or supervillain can be created by these methods in the future because all three of these people that were involved are gone. So I think that kind of means Trish is the last creation of IGH. So whatever powers she gets from it, she will be the only one that will be able to get the powers that way in future. 
I definitely think that it is the creation of Hellcat. I really hope it is. I think as well that it's probably not a redemption. I think there's an element here where it, it's it, it's driving the story to have the non-traditional big bad of Alyssa coming in here now and that having to uh, be resolved in a way that's going to be, I would say, fairly traumatic for um, Jessica. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in some ways, I almost felt that if that wasn't the reason why he's dead and has been killed in order to drive that, that I wouldn't have seen him as someone who would take himself out to destroy IGH. Um, In the sense that, as you said before, Chris, he's not a nice guy. He certainly doesn't seem suicidal or um, heroic, you know, willing to throw himself on the sword. Mm -hmm. And I think you could destroy it without doing that. So I do think there's an element here that it's driving Alyssa's storyline, ultimately, um, whether he needed to to die. I mean, even Jessica allowing him, I do feel in those moments where she almost kills him because of the Kilgrave hallucination and she steps back, she does say that she wants to see him have justice that what you're doing is finished that yeah. she would prefer now rather than sending him away um to a- another country that she would prefer to put him uh, behind bars to answer for this so again i think it's just because it's being used as a plot device to drive another storyline yeah. whether it's always um consistent feeling for me i don't know and i mean i think the writing is excellent in, in this series uh, but there are some elements where I think um, it's pushing the storyline or it's being used to push um, the storyline, whether it's with Cheng and I think a bit with Carl Malice here for me. Okay. Um, so, But nonetheless, I like what happens. It doesn't take away from the fact that um, I enjoyed those scenes between them or that I actually, um, it's not like I didn't enjoy the story. But I think I could see it going somewhere else if it wasn't for the fact that it does need to be a plot device as well, I think. It's kind of interesting, I I feel, how some of these characters have been set up and where they go. Uh, I mean, I do really, um, just quickly coming back on Hellcat, there's one moment um, I think is really kind of great, actually, where she says to him, do you know what it's like to feel powerless? Mm -hmm. Um, I had an abusive mother and a superhero sister. I just think that's fantastic, deep inner feeling from Trish as to why she's doing this. I mean, yeah, she's completely on edge because she's coming off the the inhaler drugs. But, you know, she shot at Malcolm here. Um, She basically disobeyed Jessica trying to help and just got in the car and drove off. Um, And it's great having um, that motivation uh, as to why she's done those things, Mm -hmm. you know? Trisha Sarkin, this has really confused me. And I mean this, and it's confused me in the last two episodes. In that I understood when she was going through detox. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw that. But what we're seeing here is something more. Yes. What we're seeing here is someone who is obsessed, not with the drug and the thrill. She's obsessed with power of helping people she wants to do more than just report the news she wants to be the news 100 percent. and as john pointed out that line from trish where she says i had an abusive mother and my sister was a superhero 
Like that's from when she was 15 years old or younger when she was when she was Patsy, uh, younger than that. But what we're finding out here is like 15 years she's been in the shadow of Jessica Jones having superpowers and her wanting to have them. And she attained that by having the inhaler. She reached that point. She reached that high. So much like a heroin addict is looking for the next high and the next hit to get them as high as they got the first time they ever used it. She is looking for something to get her back to the level of Jessica Jones to finally be allowed to get the powers that she feels she deserves and would use better than Jessica does. And it's all just been taken away from her. So this is an obsession. It's not It's not just trying to get another inhaler, as we find out in this episode. It's that she wants to have permanency to it. She wants to be yeah. a new superhero. So, yeah, that's where she's gotten to now. She's obsessed. She's not just a withdrawn drug addict. She's now yeah. trying to reattain something permanently. Yeah. So I think this kind of wraps up our Trish and Dr. Carl case note. Before we do. So I want to put a. I, I literally want to put plant the flag in Dr. Carl and leave him be. Plant in his ashes. They scatter the ashes all over the ground and then kind of sweep them up and put them back in a cardboard box. Mm-hmm. We now know there's three, potentially four, including Trish, IGH subjects. Wizard, mm-hmm. Alyssa, Jessica, and potentially Trish. What else are we missing? This does this for, for something. That's been going on for so long. Mm-hmm. How many more? What are we thinking? Are we thinking that there is going to be a host of other, a host of other ones? Because what we know is Kozlov went off to do his own thing, and that became the nuke program and the inhaler, etc. Mm-hmm. Doctor Hansen? Question mark. Yeah. We do, we don't know what her what she was doing on the side for those years, and then we know Carl. He he created Jessica, he created Wizard, and he created. Uh, Alyssa, but was there a, there was more we we've they kind of hint at it throughout the last couple of episodes in my opinion okay but there may be more but am i am i, am I reading into this guys what am, what are you thinking i think you've hit something there um my feeling here with carl malice killing himself destroying everything is effectively saying right igh that facility is off the table but i do think you've hit on something kozlov um, and what he did. There can't only have been Will Simpson that was created by Kozlov. It has to be more. That That is your season three other powered people that Jessica doesn't know about, the armed forces that have been created as an army by Kozlov. We didn't see them. I was expecting to see them this season. All we got was Will Simpson, who had retired and run away from them to help Trish out. So there's still another side of this story that we haven't seen but i think the igh the idea of somebody else created in that laboratory coming back in a future series i think they've kind of taken that off the table it would feel redundant to do that in a third season because you've just done it with Alyssa. effectively that's her whole character arc is that jessica never knew her mother was still alive and not only was her mother still alive her mother was created in the same facility that she was created well why would you do that with somebody else next season why would you go oh here's brian he was just down the hall from you do you not remember him screaming in the middle of the night when he was getting his powers done to him it just feels a little bit redundant to go back over that same storyline next season so i think they're saying that facility and the people created there this is your storyline about that and then next season we might get something to do with this is what Kozlov was doing all that time after he left the facility with Hansen and with Carl Malice. Okay, okay, that I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I just think Hansen's the unknown. Hansen's an interesting one because this flashback that's in the episode where that I'm talking about where he's speaking to Alyssa, it doesn't give a timeline on it. It doesn't say how long they've been living together away from the facility. So you don't really know 
from that point to the point where Alyssa escapes, we believe, because of what Carlos told us in the past, he didn't know about what she was doing. But that point when she escapes from her bonds, goes out and kills her and burns her body in, in her building. We yeah. don't know the time jump between that. We believe it was quite recently because the apartment still hadn't been sold when Jessica and Trish went to check it out. So we believe it was really recently to this. So there's probably a good 10-year gap between um, when Kyle Malice was there and when Leslie Hansen went off on her own to do something else. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the interesting bit, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Okay, George down the hall, probably no. Yeah. But Jessica 2.0, a mm-hmm. clone, things like that, I'm like, they left the door wide open, and I'm enjoy- I'm glad because I want Jessica versus Parrot. Right. And that's what I enjoy and I've discovered now. Mm-hmm. I love the Kilgrave art because he was... Powered, but a different type of power. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want Jessica just have fighting the monster of the episode kind of thing. That does, I don't think they'll ever go down that route. No. Or like Jessica breaking up a gang fight. Yeah. Like they'll do those as like set pieces in a, a, a season. Mm-hmm. But I think we need the IGH backstory. That uh, IGH as the entity. And now yeah. we've, we've done Dr. Carl, but it's the other two. Yeah. Like, that's another yeah. two seasons, three seasons worth of content. Well, absolutely. And I, I kind of like the idea that that makes it always personal to Jessica. It gives her her own rogues gallery. Yeah. Distinct from Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. It gives her her own path to go down because nobody else was created the way she was. And this information isn't out in the world. If it does get out in the world, Jessica will go and take care of it. So, how Jessica and Luke come back together in season three? Mm-hmm. Well, guess who was probably attached to the experiments that created it. Mm. Yeah, see, see. Kozlov making military prisoners easy access. Yada, 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 yada. Well, they did give us the backstory in Luke Cage of the Doctor Noah Burstein, who did the experiments on Luke and created Luke and his powers. Um, it's possible that it could be an offshoot of IGH. That's uh, that's entirely possible. And uh, as you say, Chris, I do like that they've left some openings there for this to come back in future. But I just think it'd be really cool. Everyone wants and everyone ships Luke and Jessica. Mm. That is a nice way to reintroduce them after season two of Luke Cage. It's like, hey, Luke, you're, you've done your bit now. And Jessica, you've done their bit. Hey, we've actually found out, you know, the thing that created both of you? Well, they're tied together. Right. Yeah. And that's how you can bring them back together. But on that note, I think we should move on to our fourth case note. And John, this is one that's near and dear to your heart, so I'm going to kind of let you take yeah. it away. This um, alias investigations, like the, the, these three are all kind of breaking down. And, you know, alias investigations is potentially finished in its current form because Jessica is quite clear she no longer needs Malcolm. And if we thought it was just going to be one of Jessica's throwaway remarks... Um, we have Malcolm uh, really hammer at home, you know, in case you forget tomorrow, I quit. This whole series of events has really been brought to bear on, on these three people. You know, Jessica's angry at Malcolm. Malcolm is angry at Trish uh, and Trish seemingly is angry at everyone. And there's lots of anger issues going on uh, in between, mm-hmm. you know, and 
they all fall down. You know, it, it really is kind of like a, a ring a ring of roses. It's all gotten too much. And I just thought this um, was excellent fallout from all of this. Mm. Uh, it, it really is. As I say, Malcolm's had a gun in his face. He's been shot at by Trish. He's been used by her. Jessica feels betrayed by Malcolm. He's gone through her computer. Mm-hmm. Um, she has told him not to pursue it. Um, and loads of deep-seated issues really boil to the the surface here. You know, um, when, when Jessica is really berating Malcolm in the corridor in the hospital, he really brings up the fact how he has kept the ship afloat. He has made sure that she's been all right cleaned up after her, looked after her. Jessica is really going after his addiction. You know, for for her, he's enabled Trisha's addiction here. Yeah. And it, it's really kind of massive fallout uh, amongst all these characters. Um, and I found it fantastic. I think it's a really good aspect to this show that this is all breaking down. I mean, we were talking about the degradation of Trish couple of episodes ago i mean ultimately it, it's a degradation of these three companions uh you know two of them sisters two of them work buddies and and, and um apartment block mates yeah you know they've all gone through the kilgravian experience and they seemingly you know have tried to build themselves out of it at the end in particular with malcolm mm-hmm. um so really really interesting here I do like this, the two things about this, these scenes that are called out. We, we speculated earlier on in the season that Malcolm is sleeping his way through his addiction and Jessica calls it out when she finds his teaser profile, uh, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but she calls it out that he, is, he has traded in his addiction for drugs, for a new addiction to women. I also love how that's used as well to triangulate his position because the profile is connected to his phone, which is telling him how close yeah. the next girl he can sleep with is. And Jessica kind of calls them all up, finds out where they are, and then triangulates where uh, Malcolm is trapped in the trunk of, of uh, Trisha's car. Nice detective work. Definitely. Real futuristic detective work almost. It's, it's and, on the level of CSI, you know? Yeah, and we get the the KK and the JJ dating profiles from this, which is phenomenal um i love the fact that kilgrave goes you can be jj five foot nine athletic enjoys leather in all seasons likes justifiable homicide and long walks on the beach to dump the body like (laughs) such a great great line from him i think the other thing about kilgrave here with saying that everyone within that threesome is angry at one another Mm -hmm. is just how much he compounds her feelings here of betrayal and so on and and really towards mal contrition it's is just an extension of her exactly. but it is excellently done i think here jessica's retort just then moving back to her profile it is really good you could be called kk bony translucent brit uh likes rape also dead <laughs> <laughs> I love those dating profiles. The other one that I really liked just needed to be called out is that moment, as you mentioned, where Malcolm is talking to Jessica and saying to her, in case you forget tomorrow, I quit. Remember back at the beginning of this season, she must have fired him 40 times over the course of two episodes. So it's really important here that this is the breakdown of of Alias Investigations and nobody can question it because this could have been just another reactionary get out of here from Jessica. And if Malcolm doesn't have that moment to come back to her and go, I know what you're doing. I know what you're like as a person, but I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm out of here. I'm done. Um, If he didn't have that line, 
this could easily be resolved the next time they meet each other because it's been resolved hundreds of times in the past. So I think it's really important that he, he has that moment to say to her, I quit. This isn't just you firing me. This is the breakdown of our relationship. It hopefully will get resolved by the end of the season, of course. But I think it's important to put a bit of a, a pin in it and say this is an actual breakdown, not a typical Jessica reaction. Yeah, it's a weird thing here um, because, and maybe it's just me, in that moment, I didn't think Malcolm was justified in saying that retort. There was something intuitively inside me when I was watching it for the first time where I was like, oh, I wish he hadn't said that. And I think part of that is the fact that, okay, a lot of deeper seated issues are coming to the surface about him taking care of her, Mm -hmm. keeping alias investigations afloat. But for the issue in hand that he's gone against her, that he has led and enabled Trish in what she's doing, um, I kind of just felt he didn't have that right to come back at her in in that moment for some reason. Mm. Um, And again, I think comes down to the fact that, you know, he took that IGH inhaler, uh, you know, he took a drag on it with Trish. And I don't feel that that has been explored enough as to what's happened to him in, in that moment. And so I feel like I don't fully understand his motives. And I think in that moment, with the point in hand, he was the one in the wrong for me. Uh, and I didn't feel that he had or should have come back with that retort. That's not to say that he couldn't have come back later on it. Um, But I suppose ultimately with this confrontation between these two kind of really beloved characters, it's all bubbling to the surface. And so it is something I just kind of wanted to ask because my initial gut reaction was like, I wish he hadn't have said that Mm. in terms of that he hadn't, really the right to do that in that moment but it's not to say that i don't like the scene well as i've already said i I kind of agree that he needed to be in that moment because he's kind of been a punching bag and really for two seasons he's kind of been jessica's punching bag particularly every time she wants to take something out she takes it out on him really uh that's what he feels he's always been trying to learn from her he's been he's been working his way through multiple cases he's been taking care of her picking her up off the floor when she falls out of bed drunk in the morning making sure she's prepared for her day of work and she's constantly criticizing and constantly at him and i think this is just a moment the breaking point where he's saying i quit i'm gone i'm not willing to do this anymore you deal with your own shit basically yeah i just felt there was more humility required given that because of his actions as well as trish i mean trish isn't blameless here but she's in hospital i'd like whether it was the right moment for that kind of blow up it it is absolutely because of the pressure of the situation but i still think like he needed to recognize his part in that and i i felt by him kind of saying i'm not wrong I don't know. It was just, it was strange. So it'd be interesting to hear people's thoughts, definitely, on I that. think maybe being trapped in a car boot for 12 hours might have affected his, uh, his thinking ability. And then not getting any credit from Jessica at all, just being pushed away. And shouted at in the street, remember, when there's the 13 Kilgraves around. He keeps thinking that Jessica's talking to him when she's saying, shut up, shut up, stop talking, yeah. you know? And he was pistol whips. Let's not forget that. There's wild yeah. concussion going on. <laughs> I'm actually on the side of both of you. I think he, he was in the right for what he did. I want to see where this goes. I hope it does get resolved. He took it a bit too far. Mm. And I think that's because potentially that was on purpose. And he knows her buttons to push. Yeah. But 
yeah, I don't think this is the end of Avius Investigations. Obviously, it will always continue with Jessica. I think this might be the end of their friendship to a degree. Uh, I think he'll go to Chang. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's, I think that that's so that this deal. is. And then in the next season, we can assume that there is a next season. This is that There'll be some form going back. It was kind of like Foggy and, and Matt breaking up in uh, in Daredevil. It's kind of... Yeah. Uh, okay, this is the moment where we break the characters up and we send them on their own paths now. Um, I, I do like how Jessica describes the firing of him, where she says, it's no longer your job, you're just some guy who lives down the hall now, you know? Yeah. Um, she didn't really throw the net very wide for her assistant uh, in Ellis Investigations, did she? It's the next-door neighbour who works for her. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of interesting that she just puts the nail in the coffin with them saying, that's it, you're no longer a friend, you're no longer working for me, you're just some guy that lives down the hall now. I just thought it was a nice little... Yeah way of putting it but i don't think i think he'll be a friend i just don't think he'll work they'll work together maybe maybe i think because she needs she has very few friends let's be honest true but trust is so important to jessica and it kind of feels like she has reached the end of her tether with malcolm regardless of him trying to do all the things that he's trying to do within the episode and within the series so far it feels like jessica can't see a way of trusting him especially because as you say john he is responsible for enabling Trish, whether he knew it or not, or whether he was intending to or not. Um, he is responsible for enabling Trish. I also feel there's a little bit of transference from Jessica here. She doesn't get the opportunity to kind of deal with Dr. Carl. Dr. Carl does that himself. And because she said to Dr. Carl, he's also enabling Trish and her addiction. Perhaps she's transferring that onto Malcolm as well, because kind of punishing him because she didn't get to punish Carl. Yeah, but it's a big pressure cooker here. Mm -hmm. It it really is um, a seismic moment here. And I mean, it's really good. I'm really pleased about it because at the end of the day, um, what's happened here between these three is really kind of significant. um, And it deserves to have this kind of um, seismic event going on between their relationship. God help trish when she wakes up and what happens because i mean she has gone balubas now i know how he stays in it okay he becomes trish's boyfriend maybe he becomes trish's boyfriend Mm. that's how they kind of can keep him back in or at least trish's bit on the side you know what i mean kind of thing so jessica's just fired him and gotten him out of her life effectively in this in this moment Trish pistol whipped him and threw him in the boot of her car for 12 hours. And then when he got himself out, she shot at him. I'm not sure whether their relationship is is mendable at all. I think Jessica and Malcolm are more likely to have a friendship coming back together in the future. Um, I, I'm not sure about Trish and Malcolm becoming partners again. <laughs> they are very broken people. They, they, are. they are like yeah. magnets. Maybe. Let's put it that way. I think the magnets might be uh, on the opposite sides at the moment, so that they might be pushing each other away for a while. <laughs> so what we've thought about and we've spoken about is that potentially Trish will have a new friend in Malcolm. But let's speak about someone else who got a new friend in this episode. Mm. Alyssa and the guard. Yay. Uh, Marilyn Tussaud. Tussaud? Tussaud? Tussaud. Marilyn Tussaud, I think is the joke. Yeah, Marilyn Tussaud. Um, I really like this. This was showing that not all of the prison guards are a-holes. 
Mm-hmm. I think literally when we first meet her, it goes, you show me some respect, I'll show you some. Yep. Something along those lines. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Can we get through this day easily? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. kind of the idea. Yeah, I like the I like the little gag of Marilyn Tussaud rather than Madame Tussaud, which I thought was quite a, quite a good little gag. Um, you know what? Bringing Marilyn in at this point and giving Alyssa a little bit of, of a relaxed day in her life it's it's really nice given the idea of some respect to each other and a bit of goodwill goes a long way that kind of stuff but sadly it does prove that some of the methods of dale halliday and what he was doing with her as a prisoner actually were required to deal with someone like Alyssa. um she's being treated with respect she's being treated as a mother she's allowed to make a phone call she's allowed to have visits from her daughter by marilyn Tussaud being more relaxed with her but this is a murderer this is someone that can break out of the prison whatever whenever she chooses to do so as we find out in this episode so you know even even under carl malice the person she loved and was married to she had to be strapped down to her bed to stop her from going with her urges it feels like marilyn has walked into this situation and not been given any prep at all as to how to deal with her and it just goes really badly for her from then on yeah i mean as soon as Alyssa and jessica were sat down been given their moment of time alone away from the guards and jessica goes everything is going to be all right i was like <laughs> cue chaos um and that's when i kind of knew that marilyn you know like the bright shiny new guard teddy bear that Alyssa had got was going to be thrown like a rag doll to the wall yeah. um at, at the end it was you know it was just Nice to show, yeah, that Alyssa is this boiling pot that has to let off steam and that, you know, over time, knowing that Carl had disappeared, she was got more agitated. And then, unfortunately, seeing the news report and especially with Trish there, um, that, you know, she has that breakdown. I was surprised that Marilyn went into the cell on her own, seeing that this superhero killer is distressed and massively agitated so um it seems as though marilyn likes to um necessarily leave those prison protocols to one side when really she probably shouldn't have done in this case but it just feels like she didn't get the cliff notes remember back in silence of the lambs the film (laughs) where jodie foster goes to visit hannibal lecter for the first time and she gets that prep of don't hand anything to him. Don't put anything towards the glass, all that kind of stuff. It feels like with someone like Alyssa, there is a note on her door that says, don't walk in there alone. Make sure she's covered with guns at all times, that kind of stuff. But Marilyn just seems to have completely ignored them. Maybe it's because she's a last minute replacement because Dale didn't turn up for work. So she's just been assigned uh, covering this. So it's not like her second week on the job in doing this particular work. There's not that many super powered people, I presume, in this particular Uh, prison so maybe she just doesn't know the protocol because it's the first time everybody's dealt with it and the first time she's dealt with it um but yeah i did have that absolute horror film moment where you're going don't open the door don't open don't go in there what are you doing why are you now opening the gate that's standing between the two of you why why are you doing stop it marilyn you are you will be dead i'm so happy that probably because of the trust that she built up with Alyssa, she didn't get the traditional neck snap she got thrown against the wall and knocked out i believe i don't think she's killed i think that's because of the trust she'd built up with Alyssa over the course of that day they spent together can i just say one other thing that I thought was a bit silly. When she brings breakfast to Alyssa in the morning, it's a couple of scrambled eggs, basically. And Alyssa looks at the tray and goes, can I make a phone call before I eat these eggs? 
I'm really sorry. It just stood out as, can you not just eat the eggs first? Because if you make a phone call, walk all the way down the corridor in chains and come all the way back to your to your breakfast, the first proper breakfast you've gotten in the time that you've been in there, they're going to be cold and horrible, right? So just eat the eggs and then go make the phone call. There you go. Yeah, no, fair point. <laughs> Tiny minor complaint, but there you go. This was almost too little too late in terms of the... Marilyn showing respect to Lisa and Lisa showing having the other side. Um, they're trying to humanize again her character. Mm. Like they're continuing to, and I'm like, no, I, I want to see her as the crazy, crazy mother. We've got a mother <laughs> wants your cray cray. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. I'm okay. But literally, it took till the what? The last scene. To go, okay, now I understand why they gave her this respite. Yes. It was literally because they're about to flip the switch, make her go crazy, and that's it. Yes. This is what we have. Yeah, you have to be able to see her as as you're watching these episodes. In this episode, you have to be able to see that she is able to calm herself. She is able to be a normal human being. And then to have the flip. And then to also know that it's Trisha's fault. I love that moment when... Uh, Jessica comes to visit her at the prison asking to see if she knows maybe Carl has another friend. Carl Malice has another friend that he's gone to visit because she's found a hotel room empty. And her mother goes, did you tell Trish where he is? Trish has done it. She instantly yeah. picks it up. It's like as if Jessica got all of her detective abilities from Melissa because it's instant from her. She's going, I know she did it. And if she did, I'm going to destroy that bottle blonde's head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But really hold good. on, all our mothers thought there was that one friend who was, like, the worst for us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's yes. what the, this is. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 dude. It's like, if Jessica started smoking cigarettes, like, Trish made you smoke, didn't she? Except didn't she's she? right, though, Chris. That's the problem. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Shut up. That's besides the point. <laughs> so, look, what I liked, well, the guard enabled it. We got the flashback. We got the analogy that she is like the sea. Mm-hmm. And that was a great analogy, especially for a superpowered killer with anger issues. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is almost like the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Hulk doesn't enjoy it. Yes. Alyssa enjoys it. She doesn't. She... That was the point where I'm like, okay, it's fine if she was schizophrenic and the anger caused, like, she, she couldn't control the anger. She couldn't control... Like it the way it happened, okay. This is telling us that she's in full control. She just enjoys the power and the the anger and the the, the pain and cause and suffering to a degree. To a degree, what I'm saying is like she enjoys. She identifies it. with it. I think I think it's the big point because directly after that moment where she tells Carl Malice about the fact that she identifies with the sea and the power of it, some people are heard in the background, and she goes, "I've got to get out of here because I'm going to do something if." I'm left around people, which is really bizarre. She seems to be much off, the, much further off the scale than she is in the present day at this point. She feels like she can't be around anybody else other than Carl or else she'll kill them is kind of the point. I did love the moment, and I agree with you, Chris. I loved the way that she described it because when she's looking out of the ocean, she's kind of going, I love being here. I love looking at the ocean. It's something that everybody says because the ocean's a calming influence on most people. <laughs> but the description that she gives of the ocean being powerful and doesn't give a shit about what anybody thinks about it is just perfect it's like oh okay i really didn't know you were going to go there Alyssa. (laughs) (laughs) and i think that brings us to the end of our top five case notes for season two episode 11 aka three lives and counting 
Any notes for this episode? Yes, we have a double header on the Whiskey Watch. We have Heaven Hill Bourbon Whiskey uh, that Jessica was swigging back in um, her apartment. A nice fiery bourbon number here, rough, ready, and full of oomph. Um, and then we have the bourbon that Kilgrave offers Jessica, Michter's Bourbon, a smooth finish with sweet and smoky undertones. You are becoming a bourbon expert this season of Jessica Jones, John. Yes, I am. And my liver is suffering for <laughs> it. <laughs> it, ha- it has been all bourbon this season. That's one of the things Pretty that stood much. out to me. I think we got a couple of whiskies last season of just whiskies, not bourbons. Um, yeah. Last season, I think we had a scotch, but we didn't get an Irish. I think that's what we, we had noticed. But, yes, uh, that is true. But it is interesting to see that mostly bourbon this season. Either a taste has slightly changed or perhaps it wasn't as as much of a focus uh, last season. Well, no, obviously, if, if there was more whiskey, we wouldn't have called it Whiskey Watch. We would have called Bourbon Bullets. Yeah, Bourbon Spotlight. <laughs> well, no, I was going to bourbon bullet points, maybe, something, or something like, like that. that. There had to have been a lot of whiskey in the last one for us to decide, because we do like our alliteration. Yeah, exactly. Just a few more little notes from me. I, I really liked um, Carl Malice being described as Dr. Frankenpiss by Kilgrave. <laughs> um, and we have Jessica describing Malcolm as an ass clown yes. um, as well, which I thought was a, a great insult. Uh, one that I think will join my repertoire um certainly uh, moving <laughs> forward um and also uh, another aspect i love at the end where jessica effectively rebuffs kilgrave here i know we've not really discussed that but where she goes i'm not a killer i'm not you i'm not my mother i can control myself and it means i'm more powerful than you mm-hmm. and kilgrave kind of does go i'll always be there but then ultimately disappears uh, and i, I think some really great scenes here between Jessica and Kilgrave uh, right at the end, I think was amazing. And, and of course that moment in IGH facility with Carl Kilgrave and Jessica were, yeah, he is really tormenting her or, her, you know, her thoughts are tormenting her in the form of Kilgrave, whether or not to kill Carl or, or not, but these two really, really good. Yeah, yeah, I have to say that moment in the hospital where she's looking out the window through the glass, there's rain on the glass, there's purple light in the background, and Kilgrave standing beside her having that conversation. I think it was beautifully shot. And then as she says that to him and he disappears for the final time, she's sitting in the room full of light in the hospital again. So it's just beautifully put together. It's a, it's a nice scene showing the conflict that's going on in Jessica's head. Just a very quick one for the last episode. Um in that uh, the missing agreement for Nukes Inhaler was plant-based. Ooh, interesting. Yes, yeah. What plant-based ingredients do we know in the MCU that give enhanced speed, strength... Remember, we've been covering Gotham on Gotham TV Podcast for the last four and a half years, so when you say say plant-based superhero or plant-based abilities, we always think Poison Ivy, yeah. and that's DC. So give me a Chris. Heart-shaped herb. From Wakanda. Aha! Uh-huh. The one that gives none other than Black Panther. Aha! Uh-huh. Obviously not. I just thought it was really cool. Excellent I was just like, I was like, oh, that could be... It's, I think it was just a nice reference, but yeah, that, it could be that. Interesting. One other that I want to check up, because I didn't get the chance to check it before the episode began, is the prison that Alyssa's being held in, where she's in the really secure area of the prison. 
is that the same prison where we had Frank Castle and Kingpin in Daredevil Season 2? Could be. You are correct. Am I? It is, and it's the same cell block. Wow, interesting. Because there's cell block D, and that's the, that was my final note for this episode, which is, this is very much like the, the place you go before you're big enough to go to Arkham. To, before you go to the Rasp, before you go to many other places. Mm-hmm. It's like, almost, if they named this Riker Island, yeah, yeah. then this is what this, this would mm. be. But it's the same cell block, which I found interesting. So, is this how Kingpin gets out of prison for Daredevil Season 3? We know that Vincent D'Onofrio is coming back in Daredevil Season 3, so does he just walk out through an Alyssa-shaped hole in the could wall? Be. <laughs> could be. It could be. He'd have to squeeze... And kind of like suck it in. Maybe. But he could, he could make it through if he shimmied. I kind of have a feeling that if Alyssa wants to get out through a wall, she's going to break the whole wall down with her and leave bits of it behind her as she runs miles away. Um, interesting. Do you know what else I thought was slightly interesting in this episode? When Jessica's chasing down Trish uh, and Dr. Carol Malice in the car, she doesn't take the opportunity to jump or fly after them. She stops dead in the street before chasing after them using her super abilities it's something that has been missing this season we haven't really seen her jump at all they use it a little bit in season one uh, about three or four episodes they use that ability but we haven't seen it at all this season no her mum's done it but not really jessica yeah. except for maybe getting to the top of that building where she was spying on cheng but again we mm. didn't see her get there she could have used the stairs <laughs> okay, that's what that's see that was my piece as well i when we saw her at the beginning of this episode at the very top of the building Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she jumped. No. No, she took stairs. Yeah. The effect is not that hard. Yeah. Like, from a special effects point of view. Like, it's literally you have her on a wire and pull her up. Yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe a small cost, probably a cost involved. But I'm I'm in agreement with you. I don't think we've had that much superpoweredness, if, that's, if you kind of understand what I mean, in this season. Yeah. Like, we have, and I know we've had more, Yeah. but it feels less. I think it's because they they normalize them to a degree. Mm. Yeah. Whereas in the last, in the first season, we were like, oh my God, she just broke that thing and did this. And in the very first episode of the season, she broke the pizza betray. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or she, and she sorry, flung the pizza tray. We're spoiled children, I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, we've been given too much superpoweredness. And now it doesn't feel as special. And we want more. Yeah, it is kind of that. I mean, I felt that it was absolutely conceivable that Jessica would have been able to jump onto the back of her car in that parking lot Mm -hmm. and then hold it like her and her mother had done with a bus. bus, Um, And you're just kind of thinking, okay, why didn't she do that? I did kind of like the Batman moment where she looks to jump down onto the bonnet and crush it and yeah. stop it, but completely misses. Just missed us, yeah. Um, and then again, yeah, why didn't she go bounding um, after the car once she'd gotten out? Yeah, I just wondered about it, and I know obviously one of the defining characteristics of Jessica Jones season one and two is that while she is superpowered, that is not what the show is about. It's very different from all of the other shows we don't have her saying her iron fist like phrase where she's going i'm up against the hand i'm the one that's just that's been put on this planet to take them down over and over again we have jessica jones as a detective in this detective show she happens to have superpowers doesn't really like them doesn't really use them very often but 
I, you know, I, I just thought it was interesting that they didn't allow her to use them in this particular scene because it felt like a big action moment for her to go, right, I'm going to prove that I can do this and catch her. Um, but yeah, story reasons, I presume, is the reason why they didn't use it because they needed to have that moment where Kilgrave is after her and attacking her again. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's it for our notes for the episode of Jessica Jones. John, do you defend Jessica Jones season two, episode 11, a.k.a. Three Lives and Counting? I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. I would give this five Dr. Frankenpiss ass clowns out of five. <laughs> um, I really like this episode. I think it brought so much together, changed it up. Um, I absolutely enjoyed um, the purple man Kilgrave back here, even though uh, a projection of him within jessica's mind i love the massive breakup of these three people trish going mental with guns uh, malcolm days confused um angry jessica angry at malcolm and trish uh, you know this was an explosive breakup of three characters that we all really care for all really like uh, we have that continued struggle with with jessica here especially with kilgrave arriving um, I just love that struggle within herself. I love how it kind of really connects to the whole uh, of the rest of the season. All of these things and elements were just really, really good. I cannot get enough of Kilgrave, I think. David Tennant and Kristen Ritter uh, here were phenomenal. Really, really good. And to top it all off, Alyssa has a like a relapse. She goes mental biscuits all over the show um, on her new soft, cuddly uh, guard who, yes, is she alive? Isn't she? Who knows? But all I can say is presumably Alyssa is after Trish. Mm -hmm. So um, they'll need a few army members around that hospital room uh, to protect Trish while she is recovering. And of course, let's not forget Trish here as well in that, you know, it is likely that we have seen the creation of Hellcat. So I thought this for me was the best uh, episode so far of the season. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and so I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Three Lives and Counting. Excellent. Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do defend it, guys. I was chatting to Derek before we started recording this episode, and I, I wanted to, trying to... I was trying to come up with the words to express what I'm feeling. This is very much a different show than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. When I have been expecting zigs, they've zagged. When I'm expecting a big bad monster, they haven't delivered one. Mm -hmm. But they have. If you know what I mean. Yeah. This is that we've been expecting certain things and they're giving it to us, but not in the way that we kind of wanted. This is not... This Jessica Jones superhero show you want or have expected. This is the superhero Jessica Jones season and episodes that you need. Does that make sense? That's a really good way to put it, Chris. I really like yeah. that. They've taken something that I thought I didn't want. And I think that's the, the best way of putting it. They've taken these characters. They've, they've taken the origin of... Hellcat, which is very much a secondary thing to me in a Jessica Jones show, and made it very interesting. Mm -hmm. They've taken the dissolution of Alias Investigations, which we've talked about as being this 
tertiary character. And the breakup of that is almost as bad as the breakup of in Dawson's Creek years ago, if you were ever watching it. (laughs) This is not real. They're going to get back together. (laughs) That is what they're doing. And I both love and hate them for it. And I think that (laughs) that is the best way I can say it. Like what they've done to Kilgrave, I hate that they haven't brought him back. But this is the best way of doing it. Mm -hmm. They allowed us to get Kilgrave now whenever we want or whenever the writers want. Exactly. Whereas, in theory, if they had brought him back to the dead, Jessica would just snap his neck again Mm -hmm. and then they'd be back in the same position. Or maybe Alyssa would do it this time. Or Alyssa, exactly. (laughs) This is not the show that we wanted. This is the show that we needed. That's the best thing I can say about this. Well, I'll give you some other words for this, Chris. Um, I think what you're experiencing is the showrunners and the writers of this show doing exactly what you've wanted all of these shows to do, which is taking tropes and subverting them, taking the ideas that you would see in other shows and making them different and fresh and new and interesting. We've had the mother villain coming back and her daughter having to fight against them. We've seen that in movies and TV shows before, but they've done something really different with that here. They've done a good job of taking things that you might have expected to happen and zigging and zagging where you expect them to go another way with it. So I think that's what you're probably seeing here, Chris. I think you're probably seeing them do exactly what you want them to do, seeing old things become new again. Yeah, exactly. And it's what I need. Mm Mm-hmm. The freshness of this is different. And sometimes I find myself going, ugh, that wasn't good. But then when we discuss it, I'm like, no, it was. This is like everything that I wanted, just not what I expected. We just have our own little cult of Defenders TV podcast where we just convince you that our opinion is right, Chris, that's all. Yeah, that could could be work. I'm actually playing Far Cry 5 and there's a big cult in there. They convinced me already. There you go. We're not a cult. (laughs) So, gentlemen, yes, I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. Derek, to round out our defense, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 11, a.k.a. Three Lives and Counting? Okay, three lives and counting, aka three podcasters and counting. Yes, I defend it. All three of us are defending this episode. This is one of the best in the series, and similar to Chris, not for the reasons I thought. I thought it was going to be, hey, we get David Tennant back, one of my favorite actors in one of my favorite roles that he's played, and that's the reason why this episode is going to be great. It's great because of him, but also because of Trish, also because of Malcolm Ducasse, also because of Carl Malice, Jessica Jones, Alyssa. Everybody in this episode is so strong. The storylines for all of them are so strong and so well done. And I absolutely loved that Tennant is playing a part of Jessica's mind. So what we're seeing in this is Jessica react to what Jessica's criticisms of herself are. It's so important that it's Jessica's mind pulling her down from that pedestal that other people are trying to put her on, that her mother's trying to put her on, that it's her that's criticizing herself. It's just such a well-put-together episode and one of the strongest that we've seen this season. Absolutely defended. So glad you guys enjoyed it and so glad that we've had this conversation. And just for the fellow defenders that are out there, myself and John probably talked about this episode for over an hour after watching it the first time. As Chris mentioned before we started recording, we also talked about this and talked about things that we haven't talked about on this podcast. That's how interesting this episode is, that we can talk about it in many different ways and have discussions and arguments and still do a full podcast about it. Such a good episode, such a great season. Really, really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for joining us for this episode, fellow defenders. Yes, thank you, fellow defenders. Um, please uh, keep with us through 
our Facebook group. Go over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Please come on and subscribe, rate us, leave a review, uh, but importantly, share the love by sharing the podcast on any of your drunk or sober podcast catchers. Apple Podcast, Google Play, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and um, please just search Defenders TV Podcast. Yes, we'll be back on our next episodes for our review of Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 12, a.k.a. Pray for My Patsy. Uh-oh. <laughs> Oh, that does not sound good, gentlemen. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but, surprisingly, we have a number of sisters listening to this podcast who can pray for our Patsy. <laughs> but, also, a fellow defender uh, wrote in recently telling us how he had discussed our podcast with his sister. And what he actually meant was not his a Catholic sister or a, a religious sister, not his actual birth sister, but the sister of the ward. Very good. So, gentlemen, we have found a new demographic. So if you are passing by a hospital, please go in and tell, ask for the sister of the ward and go, have you heard the good news and the good truth and the good reviews of Defenders TV podcast and what they're doing with Jessica Jones? And if she says no, then you know what to do. Yes. And remember, do not try and find the matron. No. Not the evil, scary matron. <laughs> But yes, we'll be back with the next on our next episode for AKA Pray For My Patsy. And we'll see you guys very soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you next time. Yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening. I don't know about you guys, but I think I might have to go off to see my doctor, uh, Dr. Frankenpiss. Um, I think I may be developing ass clowns. <laughs> and hopefully it's, it's all sorted out when I come back. We'll speak with you again next time. Bye. Mm-hmm.